Kyle McNulty, and you're listening to Secure Ventures, the show that follows cutting-edge founders in the cybersecurity space to understand their plights, glories, and revolutionary products. With me in this episode is Michael Holt. Michael is the CEO of Verta Labs, a healthcare security company which is near and dear to my heart having interned there back in college. He also founded his own consultancy to help startups acquire funding, especially through unique non-dilutive mechanisms like government grants. He's especially well-versed in the financial and legal aspects of startups, which are tricky for so many founders. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. Now, you graduated from the University of South Carolina in 2013 in business administration. What did you originally think you were going to do post-college? Oh, that's a great question, Kyle. So I had worked in construction during the summers during college. I had a lot of experience in foundation walls, replacing foundation walls, installing drainage systems on houses, uh, doing anything uh, with a house. So installing uh, concrete driveways, doing landscaping, uh, doing siding, doing insulation, remodeling interior, installing hardwood and kitchens. So I thought I was going to do a lot of work in construction management, and I had a degree also, a double major in finance and real estate. So I was gearing up to go into construction, and I also had a minor in environmental science. So <laughs> I, um, I have a lot of knowledge uh, about the construction market, and um, I did think that I was going to uh, be working in the Washington, D.C. area doing different jobs in that region. Wow. Yeah, there's very little overlap there with the uh, with security and startups. Well, maybe there maybe there isn't. Maybe there's more than I'm thinking. Feel free to elaborate on that. Uh, but what did you end up doing post-graduation instead? Yeah, absolutely. So, I moved up to the University of Michigan because my cousin who's a professor there, Kevin Fu, bought a house and um he needed some help uh, when he got an inspection. He found an issue with a cracked foundation wall. So I moved up there after college to help him out, and uh, we replaced the foundation wall. We uh, remodeled a lot of his house, and uh, I spent about nine months on this project. And during this project, uh, he brought some of his students over from his lab. They had an RFID sensor. It was a, a batteryless passive sensor that we could put into the foundation walls. So we put this device into the foundation walls. It, it had uh, an accelerometer, a moisture, a temperature sensor. We could tell the temperature at which the concrete cured, if the walls were moving over time. Um, and we presented this research. I graduated in May, started working on this project over the summer. We presented the research in the fall at uh, the TerraSwarm workshop at, uh, at Berkeley, where we replicated the experiment. And um, as at, at the same time that we were preparing for the conference at Berkeley, I was talking to some of his students uh, about some different technologies um, that they wanted to uh, uh, have a startup to commercialize. So I started working on uh, using some of my business skills on looking at the intellectual property, looking at uh, the finances, looking at the, 
the go-to-market and business plan. So in the fall, we presented our RFID technology at a workshop and also started working on commercializing Verta Labs. Interesting. So what was that early version of the Verta Labs product? Obviously, it's changed a lot uh, to where it is today, and, and we'll get to that later. But that first version that you're talking about, what was the Verta Labs product doing? Yeah, that's a great question. So that's a good segue into uh, the following year after 2014, after 2013, going into 2014. Uh, we went through a boot camp in Ann Arbor, Michigan, uh, at a uh, at the local business development office called Ann Arbor Spark. And the product we were uh, developing was a uh, power consumption monitoring device. So it was a power strip that was able to monitor power consumption from malware. So there's two different types of things we did with this uh, smart power strip. Uh, it sent the data up to the cloud where we were doing machine learning on um, the power consumption data. And we could either detect malware, and the way we would do malware detection is we would detonate malware, like a RAM scraping piece of malware found in, found in retail point of sale machines, or, um, a, or, or different types of malware um, on general computing devices. And what we were able to do is look at the power consumption pattern and write an algorithm uh, to detect certain types of malware running on devices. We also did anomaly detection. Anomaly detection was baselining what is normal and then sending an alert if there's a large deviation from normal. So one of the examples, we actually just published uh, a paper uh, about this anomaly detection um, just recently this month on an infusion pump. And uh, it took us five years to finally get our patent uh, for our power guard technology. We just received it. And um, what we were able to do with the infusion pump, for example, was we were able to detect if um, usually different drugs uh, dispense at, let's say, 50 milliliters an hour. Well, if by accident, let's say it was... Uh, the, the dosage was increased to even 100 or 900 milliliters an hour, uh, we were able to then uh, detect if there was a large deviation from normal. Um, so our original product was this power strip. We, we went into the basements of uh, the hospitals at the University of Michigan, and we were actually installing this power strip uh, on different types of uh, equipment uh, that were doing imaging at the hospital. Wow. So obviously PowerGuard being a, a deeply technical product and uh, the kind of ingenious technical solutions needed to, to come up with that. How did you balance your business focused background coming into the, the Verta environment? Where did you feel you were really able to provide the most value to the company? Yeah, that's a really good question. So one of the things was I got really interested in doing the data collection. Um, so if you see in the uh, recent paper we published, uh, uh, they were talking about how I did some of the data collection. So I would uh, detonate the malware um, a certain number of times, multiple times um, to, to uh, collect the, the data samples with the power guard. So one thing is I, I started uh, doing a lot of data collection. I also did a lot of stuff with like procuring the medical devices. So I was going to 
property disposition at the University of Michigan and I was going on eBay and I was calling up different vendors to get different types of medical devices and, and, and finding different point of sale machines. Um, so one of the things was data collection and procuring the equipment. The other thing was doing more customer discovery interviews. So uh, going to local businesses with retail point of sale machines or uh, going over to the basements of the hospitals and, and learning about uh, their, their pain points. So I would meet with the IT teams. I would meet with the clinical teams and learn about uh, what their, uh, their daily operations are like, what are their different pain points, what they were trying to solve. Um, and one of the things that I learned when I was in the quote unquote basements of the hospitals is uh, they did not uh, even know what they had in terms of inventory. So this was 2014, 2015, uh, before the, the internet of medical things space sort of <laughs> took off. And what I learned was they didn't have a, uh, an accurate inventory. They didn't trust what was in the clinical de- database. They didn't know what medical devices were on the network. And the reason why this was important is because we realized with the power guard is if they didn't know what they had, they didn't know what devices were highest risk in terms of the vulnerabilities and the threats and they didn't understand what their risk posture was and they didn't have good policies and procedures for managing the equipment then they couldn't fully utilize a technology like the power guard uh, because they didn't have a prioritized list of where they should install this control so before they understand um, sort of their security posture First, they need to understand their security posture before they go implementing controls. Right. Yeah, that's a perfect transition. I mean, can you talk about how that ended up shaping the future of the Verta product from there? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. So we had just received our National Science Foundation funding um, during our phase one grant that was six months long. Uh, we, 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 we showed that uh, the power guard was effective. The, with the National Science Foundation grant, the phase one grant is for research to, uh, to prove the feasibility of the solution before the phase two, before you go to scale. Hmm. And during the phase one, um, what we had to do is we proved the feasibility with the results from the power guard. But then at the same time, we had to pivot our approach because we found out if the customers um, didn't have the inventory, they didn't have um, uh, a solution to manage the vulnerabilities that um, they couldn't effectively use the power guard. So we sort of pivoted to developing the user interface for the power guard, which did inventory, uh, which helped with the vulnerabilities, uh, which did reporting. And during this phase, uh, we sort of split our team into two different projects. Uh, one was more focused on vulnerability scanning. The other one was more focused on uh, passive network inventory and also tracking inventory with RFIDs. Um, so we split into two teams and um, we took what, what was best from both projects and merged them back together when we submitted our report to move to the phase two of the National Science Foundation grant, and then we were awarded 
the National Science Foundation grant to then uh, build what now the industry is calling passive agentless monitoring solutions. Hmm. So like you were saying, you originally split the team and were working on both the, the origins of the Blue Flow product, uh, this agentless monitoring tool, but also still working on some of the power guard anomaly monitoring. What triggered the decision to abandon the power guard product and just focus on Blue Flow? Was it that grant in particular? Was it something, some other indicator in the market? Yeah, that's a great question. So a couple things with uh, artificial intelligence and machine learning is the first thing is if we're deploying this device in a hospital, uh, some of our clients for our Blue Flow product have 4,000 or 20,000 or more devices. So they might have three different types of infusion pumps and 10 different types of um, patient monitors, uh, and so on, CT scanners, x-ray machines. It was, it, one thing, it's difficult to, uh, baseline what is normal across, uh, so many different types of devices. So one of the things that, uh, if you want to, uh, do this appropriately would to be work with a manufacturer to baseline their equipment, hmm. uh, in the factory uh, while it's being produced. So um, one of the routes to the uh, go to market with the power guard would be to design it into different uh, electronics devices versus bolting it on in the field. Hmm. Um, so that's one thing, uh, just like with any AI or ML, there can be a lot of false positives, false negatives, and it's hmm. generating a lot of alerts. And it was just uh, too early to go to market uh, selling the bolt-on device, um, what our customers really needed at the time uh, was the inventory and the vulnerability management. And you mentioned the publication that just came out recently. Is PowerGuard still something that Verda is hoping to deliver at some point, leveraging that initial R&D that was put in? Yeah, that's a great question. So we're pretty excited about how the patent turned out. Um, so the patent was awarded and we were awarded, uh, a, uh, a patent award for AC hmm. waveform monitoring. So the alternating current waveform, uh, there's also other applications that are included in our patent, not just power. Um, but we can monitor electromagnetic interference, RF acoustic in any uh, sinusoidal waveform that you can find. Um, so we do have this patent and we're in various different discussions on how we can spin this off, uh, what would be the right partner to go to market with. Um, so we do have some plans for that intellectual property, uh, taking it to market or licensing it. Interesting. And am I correct that you were the one who was responsible for mostly writing up that patent in the first place, just based on your role? Um, so the power guard patent is, uh, pretty technical. Um, yeah. we, uh, had a number of, uh, 
research notes. So, you know, when we were mm. doing the data collection, when we were doing the malware detonation, we had a lot of write-ups of like how this worked. Uh, we had a lot of different slides and uh, demo videos. We turned this all over to our intellectual property attorney um, mm. and our IP attorney in Boston uh, wrote up the, um, the patent. Uh, we reviewed it. So our team didn't do much of the writing. Our, our, our counsel did that. Got it. Makes sense. Okay. So going back to the, the grant writing piece, uh, clearly you're very knowledgeable as far as funding these early companies. Where did that grant writing experience actually come from? How did you learn the key details required uh, in a successful grant in order to secure that fundraising for Verda over time? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, at their earliest stages, I mean, uh, you know, at first I tried to write a traditional business plan in 2013. However, I quickly uh, learned when we went to a boot camp or an accelerator that a lot of folks were using the lean startup method. So doing mm. a lot of customer discovery, understanding the pain points of the customers. Uh, they call it like getting out of the building. What I tell a lot of my consulting clients that I help with uh, uh, early stage uh, uh, sales and uh, customer development and, and grant writing is they say like get out of the building. What you want to get are unique insights from potential customers. Um, so these unique insights can't be like found on Google search. Um, and one of the things when you write a grant application is you want something that you tell a very compelling story that you look like an expert, that you hmm. uh, educate the reviewer about something they never knew about. And you don't just cite uh, certain market research data that can be found online. Um, so really uh, the first step was learning the lean startup processes, customer discovery, customer uh, development before you start doing product development. Um, and, and during that bootcamp process, I also learned a lot about pitch deck. So how to present the problem, the solution, the market size, the competitive advantage, uh, the team, um, the pricing, and sort of the fundraising ask. So that's really your business plan, your pitch deck. And then as I uh, wrote these grants, um, uh, the National Science Foundation has a number of how-to guides. And they sort of tell you in each section uh, what you need to write. So a National hmm. Science Foundation uh, application um, is usually about 15 pages. There's seven and a half uh, business pages and seven and a half technical pages. Hmm. And in the seven and a half business pages, um, if you present your customer insights, uh, you present a lot of the stuff that I mentioned in the pitch deck, um, that covers the business plan. And then in the technical plan, usually you want to divide it up into a few different objectives, like three or four different experiments you're going to run, write about how you're going to collect the data, and after um, this really, the technical part re relies on a strong principal investigator. Uh, they don't have to have a technical degree, uh, but they, they do usually need to have someone technical on their team 
maybe with a um, you know undergrad or a graduate degree in computer science to write the uh, technical portion, and then after that, uh, there's just a lot of supplemental documents like uh, budget, budget justification, letters of support, resumes, and um, uh, various different forms that you have to fill out to uh, comply with government regulations. And after your, your current writing success with Verda, my understanding is you ended up getting approached by other companies uh, in the accelerator program for help with grant writing for them. Uh, what was for you the most commonly overlooked aspect of these other grants that you were able to go in and say, uh, the majority of the time, this is a quick fix in order to increase their success likelihood? Yeah, that's a great question. I think mainly um, was just guidance through the whole process. They hmm. maybe heard you could get a grant, but they didn't know where to get started. Um, usually you reach out to the program director, tell them what you're working on, ask for some feedback. If they think it's interesting, they'll invite you to apply. Um, now there's an actual pitch process where you have to pitch the National Science Foundation uh, hmm. to be able to apply. So um, people approach me for a lot of different things. So um, there were people that were already awarded grants that did not know how to set up the accounting system and didn't know how to set up the right policies and procedures and um, employee handbooks. Um, so some people were post-award where they uh, – were looking for uh, grant management. Some people were about to get the award and they needed uh, help with different compliance issues. So they were being, um, the, the National Science Foundation was doing the due diligence on them to right, right before they were about to get the award and maybe a couple issues were identified that needed to be fixed. So I had to come in and correct it properly. Otherwise, um, in term that's grant management grant compliance um otherwise i uh, i did a couple of different things um i was training people on how to write these grants so uh the various early early stages like reaching out to the program manager and submitting the application other people will come to me maybe after they already had a phase one and they were going for a phase two and they wanted to make sure that they secured the phase two so I got involved uh, um, later on in the second application to make sure um, that they would secure these grants. So I have a lot of different touch points at various different stages of these grants. Yeah, clearly several different services that are being provided here. And you actually ended up starting your own consulting company back in 2016, Traverse Management. What was that experience like? Why did you decide to opt to build that brand for yourself rather than just continuing to provide independent work? Yeah, that's a uh, great question. So, um, so obviously, uh, I think one of our things we're going to talk about later is legal protection. Um, so it was an LLC, which provided me uh, a certain level of legal protection that I don't get from doing it from independent consulting. Uh, 
another thing was I was starting to do more office hours at the University of Washington, uh, holding office hours, training people on how to write these grants. Uh, and I still do office hours at um, Cambia Grove a Healthcare Incubator in Seattle. Um, another thing, too, is, uh, you know, just having a separate email. So all these emails don't end up in my uh, per- personal email box. And now it's really evolved. I think the um, grant writing was an early stage uh, for Traverse. In later stages, more recently with Traverse, I, I've been helping a lot of people uh, with fundraising, not through grants, but um, through different uh, investors in the Seattle region, in the Ann Arbor region, other investors on the East Coast or internationally that I've worked with before. Uh, now with Traverse, I've really moved into uh, some folks are uh, trying to do international distribution uh, into places like Qatar and Dubai, where I have some various contacts. Uh, other uh, companies have approached me because they have a cybersecurity startup and they want to enter into the healthcare market. So I introduce them to medical device manufacturers. I introduce them to hospitals. I get them involved in different uh, regulatory groups. Um, like the Healthcare Sector Coordinating Council. I introduced them to other uh, healthcare sort of standards bodies like ECRI, uh, the ECRI Institute, or AAMI, the American Advancement of Medical Instrumentation. Um, so it's evolved a little bit. And, um, and uh, uh, one of the interesting things, like I mentioned, was uh, people in cybersecurity trying to get into healthcare. And, and then also trying to help different companies at various different stages secure funding. Hmm. And all the while you've still been working at Verta, how have you balanced those two responsibilities? Oh, that's a great question. Um, so one of the tough things uh, about um, the path that we had discussed about pivoting off the original product and we had some uh, private capital to, to do that. And, and partly uh, when we were pivoting off uh, the power guard, we had actually received a $5 million Series A term sheet. We had turned hmm. this down because it was gonna take over control of the company. Right. And um, that was at the uh, same point in time um, that we, we had some grant funding and uh, throughout this whole process, from time to time, depending on how large our team was um, and, and who was uh, approaching me for consulting, I would go out and do uh, consulting uh, for di- various different companies and you know lengthen the, the runway for Verta Labs at the same time. Um, so re- more recently, uh, we, I used to do a lot of travel before COVID going to uh, present on on site at different locations. Uh, now, the way that we've evolved our business model at Verta Labs is we have a, a freemium offering, and we're working on a lot of cloud automation. Uh, we're revamping our website and have onboarding instructions. So, one thing that I've been working on at Verta Labs is more of a self service model uh, for mm. Verta Labs, and. Um, uh, in this process, um, 
it, you know, the company is starting to run itself. So we, we huh. have marketing support, we have management support, um, we have different engineering advisors and we have cloud specialists. Um, so Virta Labs is really, you know, maturing and sort of taking those baby steps and starting, starting, starting to sort of walk and talk on its own. So with the Traverse Management Consulting, um, sometimes when there's down periods, like I, I seem to do very well, like over the holidays, um, when, you know, I'm not talking to Virta Labs customers and I can get ahead on some other projects. Hmm. Or um, one of the interesting things with the Traverse Management Consulting is some of my clients are in Seattle. So after the normal business day closes for Virta Labs, I can consult at night because they're still working late into the afternoon. Um, I do a lot of stuff on on the weekends and um, and and it depends on the project. Like if I'm writing a grant, you know, I can spend four hours on a Wednesday night and uh, re- review a whole grant. Or maybe if um, you know if if someone needs an introduction to a a customer, uh, you know, I just text that person in the middle of the afternoon, and uh, it's very low overhead as well with the uh, traverse management, making introductions, um, or if there's something more, uh, work intensive, you know, I can review that grant application at night. Interesting. Now I want to go back to Verta in a second, but before I do that, I'm curious as far as your pricing model for traverse, uh, just given a lot of these companies, for example, those that you're helping them actually write an initial grant are probably pre-revenue what does your pricing model look like? Are you ever taking equity? Is it always an hourly fee? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, equity is definitely interesting to me. Um, but as a lot of startups, usually um, depending on how committed the founders are and um, how you know, and their approach and depending on what type of market they're going in, usually the equity is pretty worthless. Um, (laughs) And so I think with um, the pricing, um, it is, it is very tough for, let's say uh, an early stage company to afford my services. I'll, I'll do some free consulting by putting on workshops. Uh, if they want to get more engaged, um, usually you can tell, you know, how serious they are, uh, pretty early on when you're starting to talk about pricing on an hourly rate, if they're very committed to this and, and we both sort of see that we're certain that they'll get an award just because, I can sort of tell now with their technical plan, with their business plan, if, right. uh, if, if we can receive this award, they might be willing to make, you know, an, an investment, uh, you know, usually with the trade-off between what I'm doing at Verta Labs and, and, and other, you know, people that want me to make introductions for sales, you know, this, this is at sort of like $500 an hour now. Um, which can be very expensive. I, I've whittled down the grant writing process to maybe about 10 hours that I put in to this application process. Um, if a company has venture capital funding, then this is usually very affordable. So sometimes right. companies after series A, after series B, this is much more affordable. But 
the early stage uh, companies, um, it, it, it's definitely um, sometimes hard to service them. But if it's hard to service them, they're usually not the best fit for uh, the grant application because if I have to put in more than maybe 10 hours, it, it gets less and less likely they're going to get the award because there's just um, too much consulting that needs to be done. What they really need to do is go pursue other avenues, like get into a boot camp to get your idea together or, um, or, you know, focus on product development. So you have a, a better technical plan. So really, um, if, 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 if we're very similar and, and maybe they're like a graduate student, it, it goes pretty well. But if they're, uh, need more handholding, then usually there's some other resources in the communities like accelerators that will help them out better. Hmm. So going back to Verta, then what we haven't touched on yet is your transition into the CEO role. When did that actually happen? Yeah. So we've been through a few CEOs. So um, we, I originally started the company with Dr. Dennis Fukun um, back in 2013, 2014, uh, before we had the other co-founders on board. So we had to secure the funding. Um, once we were able to secure some funding, uh, Dr. Kevin Fu took a sabbatical, uh, from the university of Michigan. And at the same time, uh, Dr. Benjamin Ransford finished up his postdoc at the university of Washington and joined our team full time. Um, so Dennis was originally focused on creating the power guard. Uh, as we pivoted to the inventory and Kevin came on board, Kevin was our CEO. And then as, um, as Ben started to uh, sort of run away and lead the engineering for the cloud solution for Blueflow, uh, for designing uh, the pulse threat feed, for designing our open source inventory tool called TaperX. Ben became the CEO. Um, in that time period, that's when I moved out to the University of Washington to be closer to Ben. And then at a certain point, um, once we finished our grant funding, which was a, a significant amount of revenue per year um, to have uh, a number of people full time, uh, Ben got a very good offer uh, from a fast growing company uh, to, to um, play a prominent role in developing the security program for uh, Stripe, the payment processing firm. So as we sort of pivoted off the grant funding and we were living off commercial revenues and we really had to be sales and business development focused because the product was fully built was the time that Ben transitioned to Stripe and I started uh, continuing uh, to work on our sales business development and marketing of our solutions. It's pretty remarkable just to, to hear you say it out loud, having four CEOs in uh, the, the time span of the last seven or so years now and, and the life of the startup. How do you think that rapid change in leadership has affected the company uh, either for better or for worse? Yeah, I think that um, everyone sort of was able to build on their uh, 
their strengths. So, uh, like I said, Dennis did very well with the power guard. Um, Kevin uh, did very well in um, when we were first with the power guard. It was trying to sort of maybe f- force the solution into the market. When we uh, took a step back with Kevin, we were looking for a uh, at, with our customer discovery data a better approach. Um, and we were able to get in a, a in front of a lot of potential customers due to Kevin's expertise. Uh, ben was then able to run with a lot of his expertise in um, in um, in software development. And more recently, I've been able to have a lot of flexibility um, with my different uh, sales and business strategies. Um, I guess one of the things is uh, developing a team, depending on the CEO, like there were certain people that were better for Dennis's team. There's certain people better for Kevin or Ben and, and now have my own sort of team. Hmm. Um, so some people uh, with the management changes, uh, they, they sort of either came with the management or left with the management. So we had hmm. different, uh, business team members, depending on who was the CEO at a given time, which is hard because sort of if, if, if some of your team leaves, you sort of have to restart building that again. Yeah. That sounds like quite the challenge when getting an employee in the first place can often be a challenge in itself in these, these early startups. Um, so thinking then about your transition into the CEO role. You mentioned the more focus on business development, marketing, and sales, just given the nature of the product and and where the company was as a whole. What was that transition like for you, just given your longstanding experience with the company? Um, it sounds like the responsibilities were actually still fairly similar to what you were doing previously, but can you just tell me about that that transition and those new responsibilities and that new title? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, because I had written a lot of the grants, uh, because I was talking to a lot of customers, the presentations, whether it was with the National Institutes of Standards and Technology or in Dubai and Qatar or crisscrossing the U.S., you know, I'd driven from Washington State to Helena, Montana to (laughs) South Dakota and Dallas, and I was bouncing all around, um, making presentations at different customer sites that really came naturally. Um, some of the challenges were, were then articulating and prioritizing, uh, the different integrations, um, the different features, uh, that our customers were requesting. There was also some challenges as we moved from software development to, uh, deployments at customer sites, um, we um, had to shift to be more uh, customer oriented. So that's really like being very responsive. That's, you know, if there's a problem at a customer site, it's finding a, a quick solution. Um, so through that evolution, one of the things we did is, is move to cloud because uh, depending on the different code dependencies, at different customer sites and depending on if they had a firewall and we had to get our threat feed through, we've really moved to the cloud offering to solve some of uh, the 
uh, engineering challenges of, of different deployments. And now one of the things we're uh, focused on is we have a, uh, we're working with a medical device manufacturer and we're uh, working with a hospital that has 65 locations. So we're getting some new feature requests to take the prod product in different directions. We're also getting a lot of integration requests. So hmm. we have 17 pre-built connectors to vulnerability scanners, security event management solutions. But uh, depending on the customer site, they might have 20 more tools uh, that we currently don't have. So um, a lot of the solutions in our space have 20, 40, 60 integrations. Um, so we're currently working on prioritizing depending on which customers are most interested, what are going to be our next integrations. And that's also evolving the value proposition um, because we're getting data from tools and sending data to tools um, that we haven't uh, worked with before. So now we're starting to think more about how this is would be tightly integrated into uh, a hospital uh, with the other tools and then it expands the use cases and it and expands how uh, the product integrates with different tools. So some of those are, are challenges where if we're now business focused, um, you know, the, the engineering um, still needs to be prioritized. So at one point we were too engineering focused and now we're a little too business focused. So <laughs> those are sometimes tough to find a balance. Yeah, it sounds like positive traction all in all, right? And like you said, uh, even when you maybe think the product is done, the customer is always going to want some sort of additional feature and functionality on top of that. Uh, so looking at, at all this, where you are today with Verda uh, and with Traverse as well, I mean, what's really next for, for you and for Verda, uh, the company and product? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, one of the things we've had to turn down a lot are these like system integration requests. So because we have a good presence in healthcare, um, a lot of people want us to uh, make referrals. Um, we're not exactly sure how this fits with our, our total vision. Um, so we've had uh, a new Silicon Valley startup reach out that's, uh, you know, trying to get into the space along with other industries. And they've actually taken our TaperX tool, installed it on their uh, network capture device, and they want to send the data to Blueflow so they don't have to rebuild, rebuild what's already built. So um, hmm. we're starting to see more companies enter the space or other companies, let's say they have a building control solution. And uh, let's say that they can monitor the airflow in an operating room uh, and the airflow in the operating room could, you know, if it, if it's not moving through, there could be transmission of viruses or infections. So it sort of fits with our safety, security, compliance value proposition and gives us a more well-rounded product to go to the board, but it's a large effort to uh, integrate two products, uh, hmm. sell two products, and um, and also figuring out, you know, we, we don't want to spend a bunch of our time moving away from our product to just, you know, get referral sales from other companies. So 
there's been a lot of interest in us as a systems integrator. Um, but one of the really interesting things we learned from the building control space is that um, we're currently sending alerts about medical devices, but I've always seen the industrial alerts that come out for Siemens, Rockwell Automation, uh, for Ingersoll Rand or Train. And we just started a proof of concept uh, with a building controls partner. We actually share a customer in common. And uh, we, we brought in all the inventory data, the make manufacturer model, and we've um, started inventorying the industrial alerts. And we have a call later today because we just sent our first industrial alert about uh, some Siemens devices. And they're going to uh, forward these reports. And, and we're, we're working on a joint go-to-market so we can uh, bring in customers to Blueflow with our threat feed um, that are either building controls, manufacturing plants, wastewater power plants, um, that rely on a lot of different computerized technologies. And one of the interesting things that we're doing too is I found a good way, we found a good way to fit this with our business models. We found some more open source inventory tools for building controls. So we think this fits really well with our open source TaperX tool using the open source building inventory tools so that we can uh, inventory a customer's site uh, free of charge so they know what they have and if they want to then integrate our threat feed or be able to take the data in and out with our connectors or our API to other systems, uh, we think this fits uh, really well with our, our threat feed offering to now work in the industrial market. Hmm. Exciting opportunities ahead all around, it sounds like. Uh, final question here for the sake of our listeners. Are you currently looking for investment or hiring? And I'll open that to both Verda and Traverse. Yeah, um, so we are in discussions with some investors. Um, and uh, we are currently... Um, looking for some more development resources. Um, I've been playing uh, a customer success role that needs to be fulfilled. And then, um, so Verta Labs is, you know, pretty bootstrapped, um, but there's a lot of potential there. And uh, we're, we're still figuring out what exactly the pieces we need to put in place. And uh, we're still in discussions with investors about if this is the right time now to scale it up. Uh, in terms of traverse management, um, I think we discussed a little bit about, you know, it's hard to, uh, you know, support yourself with the grants model. Um, you know, potentially if there's someone that is at a university, um, sometimes uh, different universities can fund sort of business development consultants. We could definitely uh, write some more grants, uh, depending on sometimes state agencies will fund uh, mm -hmm. different grant writers. And then also in terms of Traverse, if there's someone that's really hungry and scrappy that does want to uh, leverage some of Traverse's contacts in the industry, we just have a, a large amount of incoming inquiries to do fundraising or to uh, do sales and business development. We're, we're, but we're talking about it's going to be on a, a commission model. Um, you know, so, so these companies want to have everything results based, but some of these solutions or these funding rounds, um, I mean, the solutions are, you know, maybe $100,000 and you can get 
20, 30% commission or uh, supporting someone uh, with fundraising, whether it's $2 million or I was just helping someone raise $30 million. So uh, depending on what stage people are of their career, there's potentially some opportunities with Traverse or Verta. Hmm. That sounds like a lot of opportunities to be sure. Uh, and what's the, the best place to reach you? Uh, so it's pretty simple. It's just Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L at VertaLabs.com or Michael at Traverse uh, MGMT.com. So that's Traverse MGMT.com. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you again for your time today, Michael. Yeah, thanks for having me, Kyle. This is wonderful. Uh, I really like what you're doing and uh, really enjoyed having you working with us at Verta Labs uh, during <laughs> your college experience. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and you can write to me at kyle at secureventures.io. I'm Kyle McNulty, and you've been listening to Secure Ventures.